All right, thank you, Ben. Y'all did a great job. Y'all give them a round of applause. They good job. Put in a lot of time and effort. All right. We good? Y'all good? You awake still? Good? Okay. All right. If you've been here, we have been uh, in a series the last two weeks. This is the third week called Applied. And basically what we've done is we've started in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we've been. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 tonight, if you have your Bibles. Galatians chapter 5, which is another letter that Paul wrote, but to the church at Galatia. And what we're going to do is kind of build on the foundation that we have laid in 2 Corinthians 5. And when we talk about applied, what we've really looked at is in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17 through 21, Paul talks about this idea of us, if we have a relationship with Christ, he calls it, if we are in Christ, then we are a new creation. He says, if you have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have become a new creation. Not a better version of yourself, not an improved version, all right, but an entirely new and different creation. And as a result of you being a new creation, it must change the way that you live. And so what we're going to do all semester is look at different aspects of our life, different issues that teenagers and people that are older than you face each and every day. So we're going to look at different issues, uh, different topics, and, and really build on this idea that you, if you are a believer, a Christ follower, you have been, become a new creation, and it must change how you engage the world how you engage culture, how you have relationship with one another, and how you have relationship with God. So we looked at that last week, how we have relationship with God in light of us being a new creation. We called it a vertical relationship between us and God. So this week we're going to look at what our relationships with one another look like, a horizontal relationship, okay? Uh, You know what horizontal means, right? Kind of think of it left to right, right to left, okay, side to side. So we're going to look at this idea of how being a new creation changes how we have relationships with other human beings. We're going to look at specific examples of that in the coming weeks. So next week, we're going to look at how that should change how you relate to your parents or the people who are in authority over your life, okay, and what scripture has to say about that. Then we're going to look at what it means to be a friend, and and biblically, what does biblical friendship look like in light of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection and us becoming new creation? And then we're going to look at dating relationships, okay, and and kind of a little two-part deal. And so we're going to look at all these different relationships that we have with one another, okay? But tonight, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, but we're really going to focus on verses 13 through 15. But for context, I want to read the first 12 verses as well. So uh, on the screen, uh, you should have this, chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Verse 7 says, You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, 
and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. All right, it's a really weird passage there at the end. But what Paul is saying in this, before we get to 13 through 15, Paul is, is writing to the church at Galatia because they've gotten real hung up on who's Jewish and who's not. Okay, Because remember, the gospel is preached to both Jews and Gentiles. And so in all these churches that begin to pop up all over the world, okay, or in this region, there are this, this mixture of those who are Jewish both ethnically and culturally, okay, and religiously, and then those who are not Jewish, okay? So they don't have this birthright of, of being a Jew. They don't have this history of being one of God's chosen people. They are looked at as outsiders by the Jews, and Jews are looked at by the Gentiles as very legalistic and uh, very regimented and, sh- and sticking to the law, the Old Testament law. So there's this battle back and forth where Jews don't think Gentiles are worthy of the gospel, and the Gentiles don't understand the legalism that the Jews um, are experiencing. And, and so there's this battle back and forth uh, inside these churches. And so Paul writes and says that circumcision, which was the sign of being Jewish, is the covenant that God made with Abraham, that circumcision is of no value for he who is in Christ. Which means that that sign doesn't, doesn't matter anymore because Christ has set us free from that. Okay. Neither does uncircumcision. These things are not something to be brag about, to be boastful of, to say this person is circumcised, this person is not, okay? And I know it's a difficult subject to talk about for some of you, right? It's kind of weird, all right, to, to say that word like 50 times in this passage, all right? But Paul says that it doesn't matter, that Christ has set you free if you are in a relationship with him. If you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you have been set aside and you have been saved, you have been redeemed by Christ, and these signs no longer matter. And so we get to this verse, the, really the key passages here in verse 13. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And this is where we're going to camp out tonight. These three passages, these three verses, 13, 14, and 15, where Paul gives us this idea of our freedom having a, a very particular purpose, and that purpose being for loving one another, okay? And so uh, each week, if you're here, I give you a key truth from the passage, and it's really, really just kind of so we can kind of focus in um, specifically on what's happening. Because, you know, in all these passages, depending on, on what you're doing and, and what you're uh, your goal is uh, you could find different different ways to preach these passages, okay? But specific for us tonight, the key truth is that Christ has set us free, okay? Christ has set us free from spiritual slavery to live a life which is enslaved to love. Christ has set us free from spiritual slavery to live a life which is enslaved to love. All right, if you're taking shorthand notes or you just kind of want to uh, remember and you're not taking notes, Christ has set you free from the slavery of sin, but he's given you over to slavery to love. Lance, I'll repeat that six more times for you. Christ has set us free from spiritual slavery to live a life which is enslaved to love. 
Smith and Daily Grace like to sing. Uh, anybody know uh, Caleb and Kelsey? As the husband and wife, they, they, they sing songs, they cover songs. They usually do mashups. They take like two songs. Sometimes they have nothing to do with each other and put them together. There's a song, uh, No Longer Slaves. Y'all know this song, No Longer Slaves? I'm not going to sing it for you. Kayla sang it on a Sunday morning one time, I think. But basically, it's, this is the point of the song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Essentially, we're no longer slaves. We have been bought by Christ. And so we're going to look specifically at different aspects of this, okay? So if you're taking notes, here's what we know, okay? The first thing that I want you to know, you have been set free. And I would put in parentheses there, if you are in Christ. You have been set free. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been set free. Now the question is, set free from what? Okay, I'm going to give you three things that you've been set free from, okay? You, though, have been set free. When you think about this idea of uh, slavery and being set free, what automatically comes to your mind? What do you think of when you hear that? When you hear slavery and being set free, what do you think of? Abraham Lincoln, okay? George Washington, yes, okay? Both great presidents. All right, anybody else? Martin Luther King, okay? He had a dream. 55 years ago yesterday, the I Have a Dream speech, August 28, 19. 63, all right? Still trying to set people free in the 1960s, all right? Anybody else? There's no right or wrong answer. It's just, just kind of a question to, to think. We, we always think of something when we hear words, okay? So you have been set free. The first thing that you've been set free from, okay, is a slavery to sin. You've been set free from sin, okay? And that's really twofold. You, Paul says that you have been set free from sin in that sin no longer has a hold on you, right? Sin no longer controls you. And then also, the penalty for sin, which is death, which we're going to talk about in a second, no longer has any control on you. Because you have been set free, from, set free in Christ, sin no longer controls your life. Have you ever been... Um, in a place in your life where you've just been stuck in, 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 in this kind of cyclical sin where you tried to stop doing something, but it just continues to come back, right? You make a bad decision, and then you are like, I'm not going to do that again. You make another bad decision, right? Or it's one particular thing that keeps drawing you back. I want to give this up. I'm really, this is the last time this is going to happen, and it happens again, right? I'm going to quit doing this, right? Or I'm going to start doing this but you just get in that rut and you, you can't ever seem to get out, right? That happens to us. But the freedom of Christ gives us the Holy Spirit and gives us a partner to, to help combat and to do battle against sin. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to mess up, but you now have tools, right? You now have a Holy Spirit, the very presence of God to help you fight off sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have freedom. That's what he says in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Right? And flesh he often uses as a synonym for sin. Don't allow your freedom to be an opportunity for sin. He says this in Romans too, also. Well, uh, if you were here in the spring, we did a whole series through Romans. And Paul says, um, so what then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Basically what he says in modern day English is, do we keep on sinning because we know that God's already taken care of our sin? 
If you're in Christ, you know that you get to spend eternity with, with him in, in heaven, right? And so can I just go on and do whatever I want because nothing can happen to me now because I'm already saved. And Paul says, absolutely not. And he says it again here. You don't have freedom so that you just get to do what you want to do, right? Think about it this way. Um, how many of you have ever done something and your parents got on to you for it? Now you got in trouble, all of you, yes, okay? Or your grandparents, whoever, you're like, uh-huh, don't live with my mom and dad, gotcha. All right, whoever it is that's in charge, your teachers, whoever, right? We've all gotten in trouble by some authority figure, right? Now, all right, okay, let's, let's, we'll do it this way. Let's say that you're driving, okay? You're driving your car out here on Park Drive, right? The speed limit gets down to like 25 down here. Let's say that you rip through here at like 55, through a 25. You'll most likely get pulled over and probably go to jail, all right? Um, so if you, uh, if you get popped right here doing like 30 miles an hour over the speed limit, you get pulled over, right? First time you've ever been pulled over, you're super nervous, your hand's shaking, you can't find the insurance. You're like, I don't know what insurance papers are. All right, um, and you, you hand them your driver's license, but the, the cop is like, all right, first time, you've only been driving a few months. I'm gonna give you some grace and I'm gonna let you go without a ticket. All right, just a warning. Joey, no questions right now. We'll do questions at the end, okay? Just a warning. Should you, A, drive home very carefully, obeying all the speed limits, or B, be like, bruh, he let me off. I'm going to do 55 in the next 25. All right? Yes. Tyler, you should never get a driver's license. All right? Right? Hopefully, right, you would be nervous enough, okay? You would, you would be smart enough to then say, you know what? The rest of the way home, I'm going under the speed limit. Okay? Right? Let me, tell you, let me tell you what would not be wise, to be like, ah, oh, I got away with it, so I'm going to do 55 in the next 25. That would not be wise, okay? Or 24, Lance. <laughs> There's speed limits, not speed suggestions, right? Okay? And so, yes, yeah, you go five over. Okay, all right. Anyway, um, so what, what Paul says here is that you don't have freedom so that you can just go get away with anything. He says, freedom is given to you so that you can be free from the bondage of sin. Sin has a chokehold on you before you're in Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that, that you were dead and you were hopeless and helpless, cut off, separated from God. But because of Jesus, you now have a chance at freedom through the grace of the cross of Christ. So Paul here says, don't use your freedom to gratify the flesh or to continue in sin, okay? So, so you're free from slavery to sin. You're also free from the law. This is a weird juxtaposition here. There's a weird balance here where you're not only free from sin in the oppression of sin, you're also free from the law. See, the Jews at this point, their, their means to salvation was obeying the law perfectly. But Paul writes in Romans that that's impossible, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says, everyone has failed at living up to the law. It's not possible because of your sin nature. You will sin and you will mess up and you will disappoint and not live up to the law. But he's reminding the Jews here, okay? He's back and forth, remember, between Jews and Gentiles. He's reminding the Jews here, hey, you can't live up to the law. In fact, you've been set free from having to try to live up to the law because Christ lived it perfectly for you. Christ lived a sinless life, not just so 2,000 years later, youth pastors and pastors could say, Christ was perfect. He lived it so that 
the perfect spotless lamb could be slain on our behalf. It would have done no good for us to, to have this sacrifice of some random dude who didn't live up to the law. But Christ was God, is God, and was also perfect. And he followed the law perfectly. He fulfilled the law and was killed anyway in our place. He was innocent and took our place as guilty so that we might have freedom. So you've been set free not only from sin, but you've also been set free from the law, which means you don't have to try to live up to the law for salvation. Now, Paul's very clear, though, throughout Romans that we don't live up to the law. We don't try to earn grace. But because of our freedom, we live according to God's purpose for our lives so that we may honor him. So while we're not bound by the law, we delight in living our lives like Christ because it brings glory and honor to God. And it points people to Christ when we live lives of obedience. See, it's a very subtle difference and it seems kind of like semantics when we first start talking about it. But look at me. If your life has been radically changed by God, if you are a new creation, you no longer desire the things for yourself, the things of this world, but you desire eternal things. And so now we live lives that honor God and part of how we honor God is by being obedient to his word. And so we delight in obedience rather than in worldliness and selfishness. Again, doesn't mean that we're not gonna have struggles. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna have times where we falter or fail. But we live each day trying to honor God by the choices and the decisions that we make because we're now viewing lives, our lives and our purpose through the lens of us being a new creation honoring Christ. So you've been set free from sin. You've also been set free from the law and you've also been set free from death. If you are in Christ, if you have been made a new creation, you no longer have to fear death. When we just sang about it, Travis just prayed this as well. We no longer have the things of this world to fear. We no longer have death to fear. We're just saying that Jesus makes the darkness tremble. That Satan and the, the powers of darkness and evil and sin tremble at the very name of Jesus. So we no longer have those things here on earth to, fill, not to fear. God has given us freedom so that we no longer fear the things of this world because we have eternity already purchased for us and promised to us. And why this is important for you as a teenager and me as an adult, a husband and a father, is that the, the things that we fear here on earth no longer have any real hold on us because the worst they can do is damage our earthly lives. They cannot touch our eternity if we're in Christ. Right? That's why Paul writes that beautiful passage in Romans uh, chapter 8 that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things seen, nor things unseen, all of these things, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. None of those things can touch our eternal purpose and destiny through what God has done for us. And so whether it's the stress of school, whether it's a jacked up relationship, whether it's things going terribly at home, whether it's the fear of, of missing out or not belonging, whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression, which are these all are very real things. 
we don't have to fear those things because in eternity, those things don't exist. They exist temporally here on earth. But those things have already been defeated for all eternity. And so while they're very difficult and they're real things that we face each and every day, right, they hold no eternal value, no eternal place, and they will all be put to death. And so we can live for things that matter eternally. Right, so this, we'll see this uh, when we talk about friendships or we talk about relation, dating relationships, right? We don't have to worry about being rejected or left out by our friends because those are only finite things. Very small window. I know they, they feel like the biggest thing ever right now, and they're very real in your lives. And I'm not making light of that. I'm not belittling that. But in the grand scheme of things, right, uh, Francis Chan used this illustration, and I used it on a Sunday morning. I don't know if you were here on a Sunday morning. I dropped a rope from the ceiling, all right? But there's Francis Chan, a uh, fantastic pastor, uses this idea of this rope. And he has this huge rope, right, spread out across the stage. I had one hanging out of the ceiling. And you view this rope as eternity. It's this massive, never-ending rope. It goes on and on in either direction. And there's this little piece of tape on it that's about this big. And that piece of tape represents your life here on earth. Because in reality, your life here on earth in terms of all eternity is very small. Think about it. 70, 80, 90, 100 years in the span of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's just a little fragment. And yet we, we put every ounce of our being and our energy into focusing on that little small window of earthly life when really God through scripture has called us to place value on eternity, which is far more substantial than earthly life. And so death and 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 sin and all of these things not mattering means that we get to focus on eternity. We are free. We have freedom to focus on things that matter. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom to focus on you. Use your freedom to focus on things that matter in eternity. And so that's really the next thing. We've been saved from sin, the law, and death, but we've been saved to love Christ. And we've been saved to love others. We have freedom so that we can honor Christ with our lives. And one of the ways that we do that is by loving others. So he says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we've been set free to love Christ, to honor him, and we've been set free to love one another. And this is where this idea of horizontal relationships comes in. We have been set free to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this guy in the New Testament asks this question when Jesus teaches this originally. He says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, the guys that, that live next door to you, he doesn't say people that look like you or people you get along with. He tells a parable. Anybody remember what, what the parable is? that he tells? Huh? The Good Samaritan. Where this guy is laying on the side of the road, he's been beat up, he's been robbed, he's been stripped of his clothes, and multiple people pass him by, 
and looked the other way. But a Samaritan, someone who shouldn't have any business helping this man, stops by, takes care of his wounds, gives him clothes, puts him up in an inn and pays for anything that he needs because he loves the man and has compassion on him. Though he doesn't know him, though he doesn't look like him, talk like him, or come from the same place as him. So that's how Jesus answers his question, who is my neighbor? And so here when Paul writes it, he says, use your freedom not for yourself, but to love one another. And he says, not only do you just love one another, people you get along with, people you're sitting in the same room with, people who you share beliefs with, but he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we already know that Jesus says, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone in need of love regardless of what they look like or what they've done to you, what you think they might do to you, or how dangerous you think they are, or where they're located on the map, what they smell like, what they look like. He says, your neighbor is anyone who is in need of love, and absolutely all of us are in desperate need of love. And so we use our freedom to honor Christ. We talked about that last week how we honor God with our lives. And even more specifically for us this week, we use our freedom to love one another. And again, we, we don't have to worry about the consequences of loving one another because our eternal consequences have already been dealt with. And so if I'm just being real honest with you, there's a lot of socio and political issues that come up, right, that our president talks about or our Congress talks about or our local politicians talk about or the news talks about, or social media talks about. And so often we look at those things through the lens of humanity and we say, wait a second, how does this affect me? And guys, look at me. If you get this as a 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old, it'll really serve you well as an adult. Instead of us looking at those, those issues about people through the lens of how does this affect me, or even good things like how does this affect my family, Scripture never asked those questions. Not once, don't miss this, not once does Christ or Paul or anyone else in the New Testament say, you ought to concern yourself chiefly with how this affects you. He says, interact with these things, engage these things in such a way that you glorify and you honor me. And so we begin to see all of these issues and we, that's how we begin to address them and engage them. Not how does this affect me, but how can I engage this in such a way that it glorifies and honors God? How do I engage this in a way that I love and value people who are created in the image of God, and by doing so, I honor God in that way? How do I love my neighbor as myself in such a way that it points my neighbor back to Jesus? And so that's how we begin to engage all of these things through how we love one another and how we honor Christ in those decisions. And suddenly it doesn't become, it's not a political issue anymore. It's a gospel issue. How am I engaging culture? How am I engaging people? How am I engaging the society around me? Hopefully I'm doing it through what scripture says and honoring God in the way that I engage. Now I can't tell you right this second how each social and political issue, how you have to do that. A lot of that has to do with you reading God's word and really getting to know Christ and know his heart. But just for general purposes, 
Scripture tells us that we engage things, that we engage people, that we engage events and issues, not from a fleshly point of view, not from how does this affect me earthly, but rather instead, how does this affect eternity? And how I honor God or how I love people. So, we, we've seen what we're saved from and what we're saved to. Now, our freedom comes with a purpose. And we've talked about this a lot already. But just to kind of fill in, and we've got about seven minutes uh, to cover the rest of this. And then the band's going to play another song. Our freedom comes with a purpose. My freedom is not actually about me. We just kind of covered that. We've twisted the, the whole point of the New Testament Here's, here's what we've done as preachers and teachers. We've made the New Testament about us rather than about Christ, right? And so we become, how many of you have a literature class or an English class? You've talked about stories and writings. You know what a protagonist is, right? Okay, we make ourselves the protagonist of Scripture a lot of times, right? Or, or we make ourselves the main character, the focal point. When, when it's not the case, Christ is the focal point. Christ, the whole point of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between points to Christ. And then we take what happens in Scripture, and then we have to apply it to, to us. We're not the focus of it. Christ is the focus of it. And so our freedom isn't simply about us. Our freedom has a purpose. And that purpose is for us to use our freedom to honor Christ and to love people. That's why we've been given the freedom. Not so that we say, oh, look at me. I got some freedom. Now I get to do what I want to do. Our freedom is given to us so that we can honor God, right? Again, we go back to the cross, right? I'm going to tell you a very biblical, a biblical truth that, that we've lost because we've become so me-centered, right? The cross of Christ, okay, in part, okay, don't listen to me very carefully, in part was about us because it, it sets us free, Right? Christ died because God loved us so much that he rescues us through the death of his son. But bigger picture, the cross of Christ brings glory and honor to God because what a better way, what better way to, to show the world how incredible God is than to send his only son to die for sinful mankind. So while we are the beneficiaries of God sending Christ to die for us and we celebrate that and we we glorify and magnify God because he loved us enough to send his very own son for us. We also have to remember that God sent Christ in large part to point people back to him. God could have done things any number of ways. He could have just said, I just, I just want to save everybody. And poof, he can do that because he's God. He created us. He established everything on creation. He could have done like a lottery where, you know, uh, like everybody sits down in a big room and he's like, hey, under your chair, there's a number. All the even numbers get to go to heaven. All the odd numbers go to hell, right? He could have said, hey, um, you know, it's just, if you do a lot of good deeds, and it's kind of like Islam, if, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds at the end, then you get to go to heaven. If not, then, sorry, you should have done better, right? He could have done things any number of ways, but he chose to, to, to do things in such a way that it would give him the most glory and honor because we look now at God and he sent his very own son to die for you and for me even though I don't deserve it and you don't deserve it. And yes, God loves you. He loves you and cares enough to send his son to die for you. 
But he also wanted all of mankind throughout all of history to look at that moment and say, what a great God. That Though he didn't have to, he sent his son to die in our place. Freedom was never about us or about me. Our freedom aims to free others. Okay, our freedom comes with a purpose. My freedom isn't about me. It aims to free others. Uh, I've already used one Nelson Mandela quote in this semester, I think, but this, there's another one. Nelson Mandela, who was um, the president and, and uh, a leader in South Africa and helped um, free his people um, in South Africa during a time of apartheid throughout the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, said this. He said, For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. So Mandela, who comes out of prison and is elected president, he had been in prison for uh, fighting. Basically, if you don't understand what happened in South Africa, you go and read about it, you get a lot more details. But essentially, a very white minority um, uh, who had settled in South Africa was running the country, and uh, everyone who was uh, black, actual Africans in the country, um, had basically been oppressed. And there was a very small uh, minority of, of white South Africans who uh, had complete control and oppressed the black people of South Africa. And Nelson Mandela and others tried to lead an uprising. He was arrested and thrown in prison. He was given his freedom. And instead of using his freedom just to be free, he is elected president of South Africa and begins to try to help other oppressed peoples become free. And he says, freedom isn't just about having your own chains fall off. Freedom is about using your freedom to help advance the freedoms of other people. So the freedom that you and I have aims to help free other people. And in our case, we're talking about eternal freedom. We now use our freedom to point other people to the freedom that Christ offers. How selfish would it be of us to say, Christ, thank you for setting me free. I believe in Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. And now I'm going to spend the rest of my life not telling anybody about it. Right? That would be pretty messed up. So that's what Paul is saying here and what Nelson Mandela said is that we use our freedom now to help other people find freedom. Freedom also magnifies the liberator, the person who set us free. We use our freedom to honor Christ. We've said all of this before, but this is our purpose. The one who set me free is the protagonist of the story. We've already said that. We live grateful lives in light of our newfound freedom. And what are a better expression of our gratitude than how we love other people and how we point them toward freedom? I read a biography earlier this year on Harriet Tubman. Y'all know about Harriet Tubman? Y'all learn about her in school, right? Surely. Okay. So, all right, Christian's like smiling, yes. I learned about Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman is, is a hero not just in American history, but in world history. It is a very interesting question. Um, so Harriet Tubman was um, sold into sla- born into slavery, actually. And she, she grew up in slavery, was separated from her parents and some of her siblings, then reunited with her siblings later. She married a, a, a fellow slave, uh, when she was in her late teens or early 20s. And um, in 1849, Harriet Tubman was able to escape slavery. She and some of her siblings that she uh, was enslaved with had, had made a run for it at one point and got lost in the woods and, and turned back and went back um, to the plantation where they were being held uh, in Maryland. But eventually in 1849, Harriet Tubman by herself escaped and followed the North Star to Philadelphia. And in 1850, um, the, uh, 
Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was passed in the United States that basically said that any former slave that was caught, no matter where they were in our country, would be immediately shipped back to the slave owner which held their, their rights, their property rights to that slave, and they would be re-enslaved. And so really the only option for escaped slave was to make it to Canada. It's the only place of refuge. So Harriet Tubman, instead of escaping to Canada and living peacefully, over the next several years, the next 11 years, as a matter of fact, would make 13 trips back to the eastern shore of Maryland where she had escaped from and led slaves through the Underground Railroad into Canada. More than a 125-mile journey from where she escaped back to Canada, one way. 13 round trips, more than 250 miles, back and forth. And each trip, she put her own life and her own freedom in jeopardy to save others, to bring them to freedom. So over the next 11 years, more than 70 slaves followed Harriet Tubman through the Underground Railroad to freedom in Canada. Someone who had found freedom but wasn't satisfied with just enjoying her freedom. What she wanted to do was to help others find their freedom. So much so that she put her own life at risk each and every day until finally the 13th Amendment freed slaves after the Emancipation Proclamation. 13 round trips from Maryland to Canada and back to help others find freedom, all while risking her very own. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation and you've been given freedom. Freedom from sin, from the law, and from death. But that freedom isn't just for you to enjoy. That freedom gives you the opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself and to help others find their freedom. And so here's my challenge for you and for me. Will I be satisfied in just living in the freedom that Christ has given me? Or will I take that freedom that's been freely gifted to me? I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it, right? Sounds like a song. <laughs> and will I take it and use that freedom to help other people find their freedom in Christ? That's the question for us this week. So let me pray for you, and then the band's gonna lead us. Father, God, I know that you have set us free if we are in Christ. God, you've made us a new creation, and God, you have given us freedom from this world and freedom to enjoy you for all eternity. God, yet I know that there are literally billions of people around the globe who don't have freedom. God, there are people in this world, God, who are still experiencing physical bondage here in this world, who are in real physical slavery. God, but there are billions who are in spiritual slavery. They're still slaves to death and to sin to this world. God, I pray that you would raise up a generation, God, who would be more concerned with pointing others to freedom than just merely enjoying their own freedom.
And God, that as a result of the freedom that you've given us, God, it would compel us by the love that we have for you to love other people in the same way that you love other people. And God, that we would spend every moment of our lives pointing people to Jesus. Yeah, we love you and ask all these things in your name. Amen. Y'all can stand and sing.